0: The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy.
1: you magical people out there. And thank you so much for tuning into Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy.
2: And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch
1: today we are going to be doing harry potter and the goblet of fire chapter six the porky and we're also going to be doing chapter seven bagman and crouch chapter six is an extremely short chapter and chapter seven is one of those chapters that really lacks material we can adequately cover so in other words we're kind of reaching with these two chapters so please bear with us and we're going to go ahead and combine these two chapters into one episode let's go ahead and start with chapter six the port key this chapter begins with everyone waking up to get ready to leave for the quidditch world cup the army of weasleys harry and hermione are groggy but excited for this adventure since fred and george are of age to do magic outside of school they're apparating everywhere oh, just because you're
0: allowed to use magic now
1: Apparition is a magical method of transportation and is basically the magical action of traveling by having the user focus on a desired location in their mind, then disappear from their current location and instantly reappear in their desired location. In short, it's a form of teleportation. It is by far the fastest way to get to one's desired destination, but it's very tricky to pull off correctly and disastrous if you botch up the spell. One of the worst complications that can result from an unsuccessful apparition is called being splinched. The name even sounds horrible. But splinching can occur when one has insufficient determination to reach one's goal, causing certain body parts to fail to arrive at the destination with the witch or wizard. I mean, it's kind of gruesome leaving a leg or an arm or a torso behind. I mean, (laughs) splinching. So any questions out there, people? (laughs) Wild stuff that J.K. Rowling came up with here. The group meet up with one of Arthur's ministry co-workers, his name's Amos Diggory. Amos is holding on to a old dirty boot, which is the port key that they'll have to use to get to the tournament grounds. Amos has a son Cedric with him, and Cedric is the Hufflepuff Seeker who helped win against Gryffindor when the Dementors forced Harry to pass out on his broom during their match the previous year.
0: Ron, where are we actually going? Dunno.
2: Hey, Dad! Where are we going? I'm the foggiest. Keep up. Arthur! It's about time, son. Sorry, Amos. Some of us had a bit of a sleepy start. <laughs> this is Amos Diggory, everyone. Works with me at the ministry. <laughs> and this strapping young lad must be Cedric, am I right? Sir. This way. Merlin's
0: beard. You must be Harry Potter. Yes, sir. Great, great pleasure. Pleasure to meet you too, sir.
1: (laughs) Although Amos boasts to Harry about Cedric beating him, Cedric is very modest and doesn't want to accept the win because Harry was not at his best. And I love that about Cedric. He's he's an all-around good dude. I've often said to others that it's better to achieve something on your own than to cheat or have a random circumstance decide the outcome of a match. Can you discuss Cedric's stance here and how a personality type like his is so endearing?
2: I think it's sad that being honest and humble is something that we would consider rare. Maybe it's my pink color glasses, but I'd like to think that there are a lot of people very much like Cedric who are really kind and giving and humble and also, don't want to accept a win that they maybe didn't 100% earn. As you said, it was circumstantial. And so there's one word to summarize Cedric, and that's honorable. I think he is an honorable person. And I think there are a lot, a lot of people out there who are honorable. I think a lot of listeners out there, I think that all of you are honorable. And I imagine that for many of you out there that you would probably do the same thing.
1: There are a lot of wonderful people out there. The interesting thing is it would appear that Cedric shares a great deal of differences with his father, Amos. It always interests me how some kids turn out to be just like their parents, for example, the Malfoys, and and others are just complete opposites. What are your thoughts on how parental units influence their children and why some can avoid the cycle of inheriting their parents' personalities?
2: I think there are three elements that really impact who we are, who we become, and that's nature, nurture, and choice. Nature has to do with our physiology. Sometimes we might inherit more of a proneness to being kind and compassionate, and sometimes we might inherit more of a standoffish nature just in terms of the way that our serotonin receptors are activated and the way that the compassion centers of our brain are activated, for example. The way that we are nurtured might also inspire us either to follow the models that our parental figures, our guardians have set up or perhaps to push us to do the opposite. Harry was raised in a really abusive environment and he himself could have become similar to the Dursleys, but he makes a choice of becoming very different from them. We don't know exactly what Amos is like when he's at home with Cedric, but we see Cedric as being a really humble and honorable person. Whereas, At the very least, when the two of them, when we see the two of them briefly together, Amos seems to be a little bit of a braggart. And then with the Malfoys during this year, anyway, we see Draco being very similar to his father in subsequent years when he becomes an adult that will shift. But as he's growing up, he seems to be making choices to act in a very similar way as his father
1: yeah see that's wonderful that choice could be the deciding factor essentially that's it for this chapter i mean the group wakes up they meet amos and cedric they touch the boot and are transported to the stadium grounds of the quidditch world cup why are they all standing around that manky old boot that isn't just any manky old boot mate it's a portkey time to go what's a portkey ready after three one two hurry three And that's it. I mean, that's a quick chapter. So we tried to sneak in a couple of questions for it there, but it was very brief. So on the chapter seven, Bagman and Crouch. After using the port key, the group arrive at the festivity grounds where there was literally a city of tents. They see a great assortment of witches and wizards and even a muggle site manager named Mr. Roberts. Due to his suspicion of all the magical activity going on, Mr. Roberts gets his brain zapped by the Obliviation spell 10 times a day. I mean, Obliviation. What's the implications and effects of Obliviating someone's mind this many times?
2: I don't live in the magical community, so I don't know if the Obliviation Spell causes the same kind of an effect as, let's say, a roofie, right? If in this case, the Obliviation Spell erases maybe a part of this person's experience, maybe the last 10 minutes or so, or maybe the last 24 hours or so, different from Lockhart's Obliviation Spell that would completely erase people's memories where they didn't remember who they were. Essentially, this poor muggle is being roofied. (laughs) I'm a psychologist. (laughs) You know, I'm not a lawyer. It would be interesting to have uh, Josh Gillard here, our friend who is a geek lawyer, to discuss this. I don't know, on a personal and moral level, this seems wrong to me. It feels like if they could do nothing else, somehow they, they, they should have suggested that this person take a day off somehow, right? And had only magical folk in this place so that they didn't have to keep obliviating muggles because they're doing it against their will and they're tampering with their memories we don't know the long-term effects of this we don't know if it's going to somehow create an issue with the memory centers the hippocampus or create any kind of an issue so I don't know. Morally, I see kind of an issue here in this
1: situation. This brings back memories of watching men in black and seeing them use the zapper. Will Smith saying, man, did you ever use the zapper on me? (laughs) It's just a scary thing. Just someone can just wipe your slate clean.
0: This is called a neuralizer. It's a gift from some friends from out of town. This red eye here will isolate the electronic
1: impulses in your brains, more specifically the ones for memory.
0: Who are you? Really? Really? I am just a figment of your imagination.
1: I don't know. Morally, it is kind of... hmm, I don't know. (laughs) So the tents were extraordinarily small and they all have to get down on their hands and knees to crawl inside them. Once inside, it's a lot larger than it appeared. It's much like the TARDIS in Doctor Who, you know, it's bigger on the inside.
0: Don't believe it. It's bigger inside than out.
1: This got me thinking about how someone might appear like they're happy or relaxed on the outside, but on the inside, there is so much more going on. Can you discuss the I am fine mask and the best way to help those who have no idea that they're struggling?
2: Mm, What a great question, and I think in general, not only do a lot of us wear those, as you said, I am fine masks, right, where we pretend like things are okay when they're not, I think also a lot of people seem like they have it all together, they seem like they have fairly simple lives and very much like the TARDIS or like the bag of holding, there's maybe a lot of misunderstood depths there. And I think a lot of times people might see somebody who is smiling and might think that person is not deep because maybe they don't understand the difficulty of everyday life. I think that a lot of people make different kinds of assumptions. If somebody is struggling and if you believe that another person is struggling and they don't seem to be aware of it, I think the best way to bring it up would be from a non-presumptuous place by making the person feel safe and giving them an out. So for example, it might be something along the lines of, hey, I really care about you. I couldn't help but noticing X, Y, and Z, right? you know, maybe these events occurred or these situations happen at work. It's important that this conversation is in private so the individual doesn't feel singled out. It's also important to acknowledge that this is a difficult conversation and that the individual doesn't have to discuss these things with you. But maybe to say, hey, look, I just wanted to say that if you wanted someone to talk to, I'm happy to listen and you don't have to talk to me about it if you have other people to talk to about it. And also, if you're not an experienced counselor, then maybe the best thing to say would be, hey, I can be here for you as a friend to check in. And if you ever want, I can help you find a support group. You don't have to, and nor should you, take on the responsibility of a counselor for other people. And so I think that for a lot of individuals out there who might be going through a hard time and wearing that I'm fine mask, just knowing that somebody cares can be a really important reminder. And in some situations, it can even be life-saving.
1: That's a beautiful point you made there. I love it. (laughs) So we're introduced to I mean, we better be introduced to Ludo Bagman and Barty Crouch because the whole chapter is named after them. Ludo Bagman is an ex-quidditch professional, and now he's the head of the Department of Magical Games and Sports. He's also a compulsive gambler. He even bets against Fred and George. Gambling is a serious addiction for a lot of individuals out there. Can you discuss this type of addiction, the pitfalls, and how one might get over a compulsion such as the one that Ludo Bagman is
2: demonstrating here. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Addiction functions in a very similar way, whether people are addicted to a substance or they're addicted to gambling, we're addicted to that rush of dopamine. It's not even getting the financial reward afterwards that we're addicted to. It's that feeling of beating the odds, the feeling of winning. And what's interesting is that the fewer times somebody is likely to win, the more exhilarating it will be. The more challenging the game, the more excited somebody might be to win. When we get quote unquote hooked on this dopamine rush that we get when we win, we start to seek it out even if it comes at a price, not only financial price, but also maybe at emotional price. Maybe we might be in conflict with loved ones, maybe we might be at risk of losing our jobs or our families. And dopamine, in a lot of instances, that dopaminergic rush can be so addicting that people will put themselves in really unhealthy and even dangerous situations just to experience it again. The more we rely on it for our happiness, the harder it will be for us to achieve it. and. For a lot of individuals who struggle with addiction, especially substance addiction that is all dopamine based, it's largely why so many people really struggle and in many cases attempt and, and you know sometimes complete suicide, because for a lot of individuals, unfortunately, that feeling of that dopamine rush is so fleeting that after a while, not being able to experience it again becomes devastating. I like to talk about dopamine in terms of money, in terms of currency, in terms of budgeting. If let's say you have $100 worth of dopamine to spend per week, if you're a budgeting kind of person, you would probably wanna make sure that you have some dopamine every day, right? So that you're not depleted at the end of the week, so you're not dopamine starved. But if what you have is $100 of dopamine to spend for the week and then in one go, over a course of five minutes, you spend $600 worth of dopamine, it will mean that you will likely spend over a month, a month and a half, getting that dopamine replenished, right? If you get, let's say, $100 worth of dopamine per week. And what that means is that for every action, there is a reaction when we gamble when we engage in heavy substance use our body uses up our dopamine quickly so it's almost like spending large amounts of money that we don't have and then sinking into debt and then having to wait months weeks or sometimes months to replenish our in a literal sense money, in a metaphorical sense, we're, we're talking about dopamine, back to its original state. And that's why when people gamble or when they use substances, they feel that high. But afterwards, they might feel incredibly depressed for long periods of time, looking for any opportunity to get that feeling back. But that feeling might be fleeting unless these individuals take a really long time to allow their dopamine amounts to replenish again
1: it just gets me thinking about gambling addiction cuz it's so intense i had this thought i don't know if it's a true thing but i remember reading a long time ago that there was a fire and people stayed at the slots and were burned at the slots you know they didn't leave i'm, I'm curious if that was a true event but i, I think it was is who knows it could be an urban myth or whatever but <laughs> I, haven't is I haven't heard of it yeah
2: i haven't heard of it I do know of some studies in which rats would press a lever for cocaine and they would stay in this situation to where they would continue pressing this lever until it would become very, very painful and toxic for them, basically to the threat of their own lives. And so suggesting that in some cases when it comes to addiction, we might disregard our own well-being and sometimes the well-being of our loved ones in order to get that that boost even just for mere seconds
1: it's wild <laughs> so now we're going to talk about Barty Crouch senior and Barty Crouch senior was the head of the Department of International Magical Cooperation he was a strictly by the book kind of person and he was described as very stiff and uptight. He was very sharply dressed, and I assumed lacked any sense of humor. Uptight people like Barty Crouch seem to me to be people who have been extremely hurt somehow. It's difficult for them to kick back and relax. What are your thoughts about people like Barty Crouch? And without spoilers, what do you think leads people to become overly strict and kind of humorless like his character?
2: I think for some people, it's an element of control and the fear of losing control when there is maybe some kind of a tragedy, a trauma or a fear to where when things weren't in control, maybe something bad happened before. This is where we might use control as a coping mechanism, trying to make sure everything is organized and just so in order to keep ourselves safe people who go through a tremendous loss people who go through abuse people who go through war are more likely to present in a similar way as Barty grouch senior
1: gotta have some fun in life there's gotta be a balance (laughs) that's the way i think anyway (laughs) the interesting thing is that is pretty much what this chapter was i mean it's done It, it was introducing these two characters and i think it was for harry's benefit really and that was it not much to really delve into unfortunately so we hope you enjoyed our first dual chapter episode and we're going to go ahead and end it now again my name is dustin you can find me on twitter at the Valiant geek
2: and i'm dr janina scarlet you can find me on twitter at shadow quill or on instagram dr janina scarlet official
1: for all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlet's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Harry Potter Therapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay magical and take care.